Marlene Halliday, you're listening to Indie Live Radio and welcome to today's daytime show and it's a bit different today. Usually I'm here with Valerie Gold and speaking to our various guests but today we're going to listen in to an event that was organised by Women for Independence. Now the event itself happened a couple of weeks back, it was called Claim the Space And it was about women in public life, encouraging more women and more from women from more diverse backgrounds, encouraging women into politics. So one of the hosts of the event was Julie Bell. And I've asked Julie to tell us a bit more about how the event came about. So over over to you. Thanks, Marlene. Well, this came about primarily because of my own direct experience as a councillor uh, in Angus Council, to be honest. But it's a very familiar experience across politics and public life generally, which is a really sad fact these days. We absolutely need more women in public life. And in Women for Independence, we are absolutely sick of the misogyny, the bullying and harassment there is in politics and society generally and online in particular, which is exactly why we need more women in in politics and to stand for election. So we wanted to reach women who are thinking of standing in next year's local council elections uh, through this event. There aren't enough women in politics and we're not diverse enough, you're absolutely right. So our aim for this event was to provide at least part of that support network that we all need. Now, Women for Independence isn't party affiliated, as I hope you know. We're very keen to be inclusive and to learn from those out with the independence movement too. So we were very delighted to have with us on the day Lorna Slater, MSP from the Green Party and co-convener of the Greens. And she's a Women for Indie member, which is fantastic. We had Emma Walker, who's the chief exec of Change the Chat. Kat Carey of Reclaim the Streets Edinburgh and Talat Yacoub of the 5050 campaign and Pass the Mic, which is aimed at encouraging more women of colour into public life, which we absolutely support 100%. So we kind of took it from a place of if you've submitted an application to be considered as a council election candidate through the party process for next year, but you're still swithering, and I know lots of people are, then we hope this event would be exactly what you needed to firm your resolve to progress with your application yeah. um, and, and to seek a candidacy. And even if you weren't a candidate or hoping to be a candidate, you can absolutely be very much part of our support network to, to support those women who are wanting to stand because it can be quite rocky at times. So I was absolutely delighted to co-host this event with my Northeast Women for Indie Uh, National Committee sister Fatima Joji and we want all of us to be part of the solution with the Women for Indie Sisterhood so we very much hope you enjoy the event. 
That's that's great, and and thanks so much for giving us that, that introduction, Jules. Um, I mean, as you know, I I was sitting in. Well, I am a member of Women for Indy. Um, I was sitting in on the meeting, and I I just really appreciated. I was, to be frank, I was a bit horrified at some of the um, revelations that you know were referred to. But I, I, overall, I just found it a really inspiring, positive uh, event, and it was great hearing those speakers. So we'll now go over to the actual event itself, and uh, everyone who's listening at the moment, hope you really enjoy it. And if you want to find out more about Women for Indy, just Google, and you'll find them. So uh, I really appreciate everyone making time in their busy lives uh, to join us. I'm Julie Bell. I'm um, National Committee Member of Women for Indy. It's lovely to see you all. Before we get into the, the meeting proper, I'd very much like to start by asking everyone here to pause for a moment and reflect on the loss of a dear campaigner, feminist role model, friend and guide to many of us here today, Emma Rich, the fearless and wonderful CEO of Engender and the chair of Rape Crisis Scotland. As you'll know, Emma died very suddenly on July the 9th and and that loss shook us all to the absolute core. Um, Jocelyn, could you maybe pop up? Now, there are women on this call today who are much better placed to eulogise about Emma than I am. But I know that Emma was absolutely all about amplifying women's voices and about taking action. So instead of a minute's silence, Mm. I just thought it would be lovely to use our voices and our hands to make a right stooshy um, and that that would be much more appropriate to remember Emma. So we're going to go for a round of loud, enthusiastic applause and cheering to show our love and our grief for the loss of this remarkable young woman. So please put on your mics and let us show that love, that sisterly love and respect and grief really for Emma's life in the noisiest way possible. So here we go. Clap everyone. Okay, thank you all so much. Those pictures and that quote um, always tug at my heartstrings. Speak your truth, even though your voice shakes. And that was absolutely what Emma was all about. And we are going to miss her so much. Now, to get on to the event proper. Thanks, Jocelyn. We're racing towards the council elections in 2022, just 287 days away, and you can bet your ass I counted them. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of you may have submitted your applications to be considered a candidate for the party of your choice, or are even considering it as an independent, and some of you will be going through a reselection process. Some of you may not have yet made a definitive decision about standing for uh, council. So I hope that what we have planned today will encourage you to make that leap and and make it a positive leap. Um, Today's event will hopefully help you shape the support that you feel you need to complete this process and, and to become a candidate and become elected and to tackle all the existing barriers that uh, often prevent women uh, taking public office or find it a very difficult place once we get there. 
Now, as an elected councillor myself in a council with now absolutely no women in its administration group, you bet I know there's a big problem with a mere 23.9% of women councillors in Angus my home turf, and only 29% across Scotland. That's dire, absolutely dire, and I'm really hopeful that we can um, kick that number in touch uh, in May next year. And this year, for the first time in its 22 years of, of its life, the Scottish Parliament elected its first woman of colour, Cowcab Stewart, MSP for Glasgow Kelvin. And she first stood for Parliament against Donald Dewar at the very first election in 1999. And the fact that it's taken 22 years for Scotland to elect a woman of colour is nothing short of a national disgrace. So today, we're all about encouraging more women into politics and more diverse, more representative women too. And our brilliant guests today will bring their own vibrancy to our discussion today and I'm really grateful to them all for coming along. So our first guest speaker is the mighty Lorna Slater MSP, co-convener of the Scottish Green Party, newly elected uh, to represent the Lothian region in May this year and it's fair to say an impressive performer in the campaign who absolutely knocked our socks off. We all fell in love with uh, Lorna um, and as a, a Women for Indy member we know she's an accomplished aerialist although sadly we're not in a real venue and she can't prove that to us today. I'm absolutely gutted and she loves her bearded dragon uh, so thanks to Wiki for that who's called Bellamy. Please welcome Lorna Slater, a huge Women for Indy cheer for yet another Indie woman in our Scottish Parliament. Thank you, Lorna. Wonderful. Thank you so much. That's possibly the kindest, most flattering introduction anyone has ever given me. Um, so yeah, I'm Lorna Slater. I'm co-leader of the Scottish Green Party. And as of two months ago, I am the MSP for Lothian Region. This talk, though, is going to feature more about the climate climate side of things. Uh, in 2019, I was lucky enough to get to go to the Antarctic on a women's leadership program with 90 other women from uh, scientists and engineers from around the world. This program believes that women have a unique role to play in tackling the climate crisis, and it aims to give us the skills that we would need to do that. I met up with 90 women from 26 countries after two, after two nine-hour days in a crowded conference room together we set sail. And on the morning that we set sail, I wrote a kind of toast to the company as we set sail. And I'm going to read that to you just now. Today is the day. Bon voyage, Team HB3. Your planet needs you to succeed. The cause is urgent. How does a cause become a movement? In the same way that a trickle becomes a flood or a few pebbles start an avalanche. Homeward bound, is movement in both senses. Over the last week, women have trickled into Ushuaia, Argentina to join together. We started meeting in airports and stopovers in twos and threes. We came together at the end of the journey, 80 women traveling from 26 countries. In this, the third homeward bound expedition to Antarctica. We are scientists, engineers, doctors, and others who have come here to learn a new set of skills. We are here to learn about leadership, about visibility, about strategy, and to practice working and collaborating together. We need to learn quickly and well. 
our cause is urgent. We have 12 short years, and in fact, that's two years ago. So 10 short years is all we have left to make major changes to our society, politics, and way of life, or climate breakdown will have gone past the point where it can be managed. We have only three short weeks together in the tight confines of a ship to learn what we need to know. The ship's movement will carry us past the evidence of climate breakdown, bare rock and bare water, where they used to be glaciers and pack ice. Even before we embark, we've attended a two-day conference in Ushuaia, two nine-and-a-half-hour days in hot conference rooms while jet-lagged. We are committed to our cause. This learning is taking us out of our comfort zones, out of our labs, out of our research, out of our offices, our surgeries. The stress of the experience is turbulent, swirling and bumping into so many new people in close quarters for long hours. Leaving your comfort zone is hard and it's emotional, and yet we persist. And this is how we become a movement. The tributary of the third homeward bound expedition joins those of the first two to become a stream and the cohorts who come behind, one every year for 10 years, will become a river. The cause of saving the planet will become a movement and homeward bound will have played its part in causing this flood. We know the science. We will make it visible and real. We will communicate our urgent messages. We will stand up and speak for the polar bears, the coral reefs, the seabirds. We will go back to our countries and develop effective policies and see them implemented. We will inspire others to join and support our movement. We are hope for the future. Bon voyage for your journey that embarks tomorrow. Our planet needs you to succeed. And so we set sail. We would spend three weeks together in the cramped confines of this ship, which is simultaneously a very long time to be away from your family and job and life, and not remotely long enough to learn all the things that we needed to learn. So this was our first lesson in that sweaty, jet-lagged, homesick, overwhelmed state, is that we can do hard things. That's our little ship that was our home for three weeks. It looks really small and lonely next to that glacier. For three weeks, we had no internet, no phones, and no news. After two days out of sight of land on the Drake Passage and a cruise through some outlying islands, you eventually get to the Antarctic continent, which really is like nowhere else on Earth. There is no vegetation there, no soil, hardly even any bacteria. The entire surface is covered in glaciers, sometimes up to five kilometers thick. This image hasn't been color touched, and this is my abiding memory of Antarctica, the shades of blue, the bright blue sky, the dark blue sea, and that unreal otherworldly turquoise that comes from the light refracting through the ice. But we were there to learn about leadership, which was presented to us as having three concentric circles. The first being about ourselves. We can all see the problems in the world that are caused by leaders who lack empathy, who don't listen, who are dishonest, who lack vision, who lack morals. So our first stage was to take a long, hard look at ourselves and how large the gap was between where we each were and the kind of leader each one of us wanted to be. Someone with empathy, with vision, integrity, grit, who is inspirational. And this kind of self-examination is really hard. And perhaps even harder, especially for women, is making a fair evaluation of our own strengths, acknowledging what we're good at, what we've improved at, what we've actually achieved, 
recognizing that we already have what it takes, that we actually are good enough and that we deserve a seat at the table just as we are. And that we have something to contribute. The second circle of leadership is connecting with others. A leader must connect with others. A leader who is alone is no leader at all. And we can't do anything if we don't listen, if we judge, if we assume that we know everything. So the technique that we were taught for connection with others was to be intensely curious about them. Why do they think what they do? What has led them to where they are? Use the five whys technique. Suspend judgment and be intensely curious about your fellow humans. The final circle was leadership and context. And for this, I'm going to tell you the story of Christiana Figueres, who led the UN Committee on Climate Change that made the Paris Agreement happen. After the disaster that had been the Copenhagen Agreement, Christiana had to deal with a context where anyone that you put a microphone in front of was saying it couldn't be done. A global deal on climate wasn't possible. So in addition to her day job, having a family and running marathons, because of course she runs marathons, Christiana started a charity that went around the world to be intensely curious and listen to groups who normally don't get a say in climate issues, religious groups, business groups, community groups. And by the time the Paris Agreement came around, if you put a microphone in front of a religious leader, they would say, Climate change causes human suffering, famines, drought, children drowning in the Mediterranean. And a business leader would say, climate change is a danger to my assets. Christiana had changed the context with her philosophy of stubborn optimism, because failure is not an option. And of course, while we were studying all this rather heavy stuff, outside the window is Narnia. So every few hours, somebody would look out the window and shout, whale and we would all scramble for our cameras and mittens and chaos would ensue and it would take 20 minutes to get everyone back inside and sat down again. One of the reasons for going to the Antarctic was because you could see immediately with your own eyes the effects of climate change, bare rock and bare water where there should have been ice. You can see in this picture that I'm not very bundled up. I mean, although it was the Antarctic summer, it still should not have been that warm. The warming of Antarctica has dangerous implications for the whole planet. These are Adelie penguins. The type of krill that they eat can't live in warmer waters, so their numbers are in decline. Is this the world we're creating, a world without penguins? These babies, the ones that are lying down, the sort of fluffs of brown there, they're not dead, but they are lying down because they're too hot. And in fact, they are the second hatching for this colony in that year because the first hatching drowned when all the snow melted too early. Saving the planet is not optional. And you, me, us, the women of the world, this is the fight of our lives. The climate crisis will define everything that happens in the next hundred years. And we are called upon to step up and do our part, to take the lead and to have courage. Because it's going to take courage. As soon as you speak up, as soon as you take on a leadership role, as soon as you stand up for something, you will be attacked and criticized. But if the person who is criticizing you isn't in the arena too, ignore them. You will make mistakes and you may fail, but do so while daring greatly. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is fear walking. It takes courage to stand to be on a committee for a cause that you care about. It takes courage to stand for election. It takes courage to speak publicly about what you believe. 
And it takes courage to write about what's in your heart. Courage is fear walking. And because we can do hard things, including going for a swim in Antarctic waters, you can do hard things. And saving the planet is going to be hard, but we can do it because we are stubbornly optimistic. We are intensely curious. We will dare greatly and we can do hard things. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Lorna. Um, that was incredibly inspiring. And I think one of the one of the the dilemmas about climate change, of course, is is that it restricts, I guess, our ability to see parts of the world that we might otherwise want to see if, if we were we are taking a, a judgment call on on reducing our own carbon emissions and travel. But being able to share uh, your experience there was incredible. And um, people are absolutely right in the chat. Um, we do have two women of colour in Parliament. Pam Gosal is the Conservative MSP for the West of Scotland. And I still think that having only two women of colour in our Parliament is still a national uh, disgrace. So we, we need to continue the, the work to, to push a more representative representation in local government, which is actually where a lot of the decisions that are made that affect most of our lives and, and how money is spent to that to that sphere of government, they are they are all really really important. Now, I think we've got time for a couple of questions from Lorna. Um, we can add in more questions before the break after um, Emma and Kat speak as well. But does anyone have an immediate question for Lorna? There, Heather Anderson has a question. Marvelous, Heather, fire away. Hi, hi, Lorna. Um, Women for Indy had a really powerful day. We've had a couple of powerful days on um, food farming, sustainability and the right to food. And just that whole thing of um, women play such a lead role in feeding our families and supporting nutrition and the right to food as a way of overcoming poverty. And it would just be nice to hear your views on the role the parliament can play in ensuring that the right to food is enshrined in law and that it becomes a central um, plank in terms of combating climate change, particularly through organic production. Yeah, so I mean, we're obviously all over that stuff. We had, um, the Scottish Greens had right to food in our manifesto, and I recall a, a somewhat, shall we say, combative uh, television exchange where I was on with, honestly, I kid, I kid you not, two Tory peers uh, who were all about the right to food? That's ridiculous. Don't be absurd. How you like? Oh, and it was just like it was just like caricatures of like. But I'm sort of like people need to eat. If you're going to live, you have to eat. Surely we have a right to food. And it was just it was just that kind of total total mismatch. So yeah, absolutely, we believe in the right to food, and of course, supporting local distribution of food and um, you know local markets for food and, and stuff like that. So there's a lot of really good small scale projects going on. In terms of what the Parliament can do, I think the the big problem we have in Scotland, from the point of view of the Scottish Greens, is land reform. So much of our land isn't being used in an way that's either effective for the economy or effective for um, carbon sequestration so i mean like in terms of good for the environment right so we have something like 15 percent of scotland is grouse moors there's a huge amount that's golf courses for instance both of those things are not that effective for the economy like anything you do with a grouse moor is better for the economy and creates more jobs uh, than a grouse moor does and it also um absorbs more carbon out of the atmosphere so 
sustainable agriculture is going to be a huge part of how we tackle climate, the climate crisis. And there's also scope for tens of thousands of jobs in this area. So it's one of those things that is, we've got this, this is an awful word, we've got there's this synergy here, where this exactly the same things that we need to tackle the economic recovery are precisely those same things that we need to tackle the climate crisis, which is using our land better, using it to make sustainable agriculture so that we can have locally grown food that is available um, for everybody. But there needs to be a difference in approach about how we use what I would consider to be our common resources. You know, the land of Scotland, I think, belongs to us all and should be used to the best value of the people of Scotland. That is not uh, government view and it is not the sort of traditional view. So we've got a lot of work to do there. Um, I mean, we're pushing uphill. It's not um, this is not the government's comfort zone and they are struggling to be pushed out of their comfort zone on it. So I just, yeah, right. It's the usual right to your right to your MPs, the right to your MSPs. The, um, the Scottish Greens will continue to push for that because we feel that underlying all of that is land reform. Yeah. Thanks, Lorna. As, as someone who represents a, a, a large number of uh, Grouse Moor areas in, in my ward, I have had to speak to the police about uh, threatening behaviour uh, from local uh, gentry and, and their gamies. So it's, it's a big issue. Um, and Zara wanted to come in uh, on a, a question about island proofing, I think. Yep, yeah, it was rather around green issues and island proofing, actually, and leadership, Laura. I know, for example, when we start seeing people, the women in my communities particularly, which is where your local shop is 15 miles away and there is no public transport, there's a lot of support for things like active travel, but there's also a lot of people who laugh and wonder how you can ever make it happen. And I'm still very much aware that my mother's generation of women in my communities was the first who had cars, the first who drove, and the first who had lives out of their villages. <laughs> or lives out of a cluster of houses with no infrastructure crofting communities. So Absolutely. How we can make it more environmental and still involve those basic freedoms that women in the cities take for granted and we haven't always had. Well, you can certainly be reassured that it isn't the crofters and the people on the islands that are causing climate change. You know, like there's only 20,000 of you. <laughs> so like you're, you're not responsible and I don't think you should feel responsible for that. There, there is always going to need to be a mix of different transport options. But the truth is, you know, most of most of transportation happens in cities and most of it is journeys of less than 1.4 miles. Nearly all car journeys in terms of a percentage of the journeys rather than the distance um, could be undertaken by active travel or public transportation. But it isn't people on the islands that are causing the problems. Having said that, um, if we don't provide carbon neutral ferries or low carbon ferries to islanders, you know, and affordable ferries and stuff, then we're forcing people to use more high carbon forms of transportation. Again, that isn't a choice that islanders have. Islanders have to get around and participate in the economy. That's a choice that governments make to subsidize aviation rather than subsidizing low carbon ferries. And that's the kind of decision that, you know, that's a government decision. We can change that. We can change that in the future. We can take away all that public money that we've been giving to oil and gas companies and aviation companies and to motoring. And we can redirect that money into public transportation, low carbon ferries and all those things. Because basically I want you to be able to, I want the right choice to also be the cheaper and easier choice. The environment will not be saved by individual humans making difficult or financially punitive decisions. It will be made by governments deciding where public money goes. It was just reported last week that the G7 countries have given 15 
trillion pounds to the oil and gas industry. That's why it's cheaper to fly to Bristol than it is to take the train. It's not your fault, Zara. It's not the fault of the women in the islands. It's governments giving them money to make it cheaper. So yeah, so don't worry about that. Yeah, we'll, we'll do what we can to make yeah. island transportation much easier for you. Can I just add, so you're actually making me feel a lot better because I'm after this meeting, I'm going to a protest on a new oil field and I'm going to have yeah. to drive there and it's 30 Woo-hoo. miles away. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, well, Liz, I'm very mindful of time and I know mm-hmm. there's a big few questions for Lorna, but it might be that... Um, if, if Lorna has the chance, you could maybe answer some of those in the chat to, to let the, the event move on. But thank you for those. And, and when we get back to real life face to face meetings, I think it's really important that we have an event that we can fully discuss all lots of these issues and, and our role in tackling climate change. And I think a two hour meeting isn't going to do that justice mm-hmm. uh, online. It's so important. Lorna, thank you so much. And um, next, I'm really thrilled to welcome Emma Walker, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Change the Chat, which is a campaign uh, to to tackle misogyny and to promote sisterhood in politics, which is what we're all about. Um, So please welcome the inspiring and passionate Emma Walker. Over to you, Emma. Thank you. Thank you very much, Julie, and thank you to everybody for having me here today. I am really delighted to be part of this conversation. I've been asked to talk about how we smash the patriarchy and break down the toxic culture in politics today. And my goodness, is this an urgent task ahead of us? I put out on Twitter the other day that I was going to reveal to you the the special secret ingredient Uh, that we need to either brew a toxic culture in politics or to be the antidote. And I would love to know what you think that is. So if you know it, if you could pop that in the chat box, and I'll come back to that in a little while. What I have seen in my short time in politics, and since I began Change the Chat 18 months ago, there's a force field around Scottish and UK politics right now. And there are people within that force field that are protecting the patriarchy. And until we call those people out and until we call those people up to feminist activism, then we will always face the issues and the trials and the challenges that women face. And I'd be really interested to also know what you, who you think is in that force field as well. Now, this is uncomfortable work that we are asking uh, you to do and to think about today. And I'm going to make a confession because until yesterday, I had uh, eight pages of speech to say to you. I wrote it on Thursday and I knew it was probably one of the weakest things that I had ever written. And it was because I was feeling uncomfortable because this is uncomfortable work. Women saying what has happened to them, their experiences and inviting people to join them to smash the patriarchy is not something that you do easily. And we get called angry and resentful and bitter and a troublemaker and all of these things. And of course, we're brought up to believe that women should be good and live within the rules and not call out power structures. But then I saw the queen, that is Dawn Butler, call out the lies of a liar in the most iconic building of political patriarchy on this planet as a black woman calling out a white male prime minister, no less, who has got away with all kinds of lies 
and misbehavior over the past few years and well past few decades how brave was she and then Jules sent me yesterday uh, the quote from Emma Rich who had said as she showed at the beginning um even if our voices shake we should use our voices well let me tell you this entire part of my body right now is going like the clappers but it is important that we use our voices and that's what I'm going to ask you to do today so this event is called claim the space and i am genuinely so excited for every single one of you who are about to do just that i know there are women on this call who know that they are going to run in the local elections next year and i know there are women on this call who know that they're going to win and there are women behind those women who'll never run but who will champion their pals and they'll pick up the kids and they'll run the campaigns and you will nail that job too and i am super excited and i am super envious of you because i loved my time in politics and i am asking you all to run for it and go for it because you deserve it and you want to do it to change things within your community your country you you believe in independence you want a better life and you want a better life for women like you and women like me but there's a fundamental flaw in asking us to claim the space in what is essentially a patriarchal system and the work that i've been doing with change the chat and i should say that it's a side hustle i have a day job i do it in my spare time um and you're all welcome to join me in this in this challenge of smashing the patriarchy but what i'm finding and we do work across a number of sectors is that the hardest sectors to dismantle the patriarchy in are the sectors that whistleblowing is frowned upon and i'm here to tell you right now there are two things that we need to do in order to dismantle the patriarchy it's to whistleblow and it's to be allies for those whistleblowers it's not comfortable but if we don't do that and if we don't call out the things that happen to us then we will never be able to fully challenge and have conversations about what is happening in the open Now I would love to dismantle how we do politics and I would love to start from an intersectional feminist ground zero that sounds like a great plan and it's never going to happen. So we need to work with what we've got and we've found feminist fixes. I mean we have women for Indy, we have 50/50 parliaments, we have women 50/50 elector women's committees across politics to get women selected and elected. But what happens when things go wrong? And they do go wrong. Since I blew a small public whistle on my own party last year women from across the five parties have come to me and told me about things that have happened to them and they all women are finding that there is no recourse there's no justice and where there's no justice there's no change and i found that to my extreme cost now I might as well tell you because it's as quick as a Google search. My ex-party is the Scottish Liberal Democrats. And I joined politics in Christmas 2017. I wanted to be a parliamentarian since the age of 12 and I didn't think it was going to happen for me. And then at 37 I find myself chapping on doors and living my best life. And for the 2 years and 2 months that I was involved in politics, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was the best thing in the world and and my trajectory was steep and quick. I was embraced by the party membership on the whole and also the leadership. Willie Rennie invited me to be mental health spokesperson, which was an absolute privilege. Mental health is supposed to be the primary policy for that party. And I was then invited to be chief of staff for the MEP following the Euros. 
And eventually I was then asked to be the chief executive of the Scottish party. So women have spoken to me and have said, well, maybe you were new to politics. And maybe that's why when you called out the things that happened to you, that's why you didn't get justice. Well, I was part of the leadership administratively. That's why you haven't probably heard my name. I wasn't in the parliament, but you couldn't get any higher. And yet when I asked for protection and support from the patriarchy and also from a wider toxic culture, I was ignored. And I did that thing that we do as women. I asked politely, collegiately, quietly, and I was knocked back. But as any whistleblower will tell you, it starts with a feeling. There's a sense of toxic culture in the air. And then you start to see it happen to other people. And then people will come to you and eventually it will happen to yourself. So as people started coming to me, I started to get louder because it's easier to have a voice for other people than it is for yourself. I think any woman will tell you that. You all know that. And still, I was ignored. And eventually, after two years, I had to relinquish my expectations of running for parliament. And I stepped back and I blew the whistle in a fairly quiet way, I thought, on a Facebook video um, last April. Now, I'm going to try and share my screen and show you a little bit of this video and I want you to think about what might have happened after I said this publicly. Of course, these things are all untrue. Male members messaged me to tell me that I smile too much. I don't smile enough. I'm too young to run. I don't know my own place. A senior male member told me that I am crass and too overtly ambitious. And then on Christmas Day, a man who until recently was a member phoned me and emailed me to tell me what he wanted to do to me sexually. It was so explicit that on the 27th of December, I found myself at the police station being told that it was a good idea to have a mark placed on my home so that if I had to make a 999 call, the police could respond to me more urgently. If it wasn't for my colleague and good friend, Nasser Kessel, I would have had to face this police report on my own. The people who should have been supporting me were too distracted with the unfounded complaints from some of the men in this party. This is the ultimate example of the problem with gender inequality. Whilst I was being sexually intimidated in my own home, I was also being punished for being too overtly ambitious. I'm nervous about talking about this publicly because I know there are going to be people who aren't happy with me for exposing this problem. But I wanted to get into politics because I wanted to be a voice for those people who are silenced. And if we don't have these conversations, women will continue to have to deal with this on their own. There is little point in securing the safeguards once the misogynists have bolted. So I did that video and I ended up on the front page of the Scotsman and in the Edinburgh Evening News. And I received more than 700 um, letters, emails, bouquets of flowers in support from across party. And uh, I can see people on this call today who support me. So thank you so much, um, because that meant a lot at the time. Uh, the response from the party, even though none, nothing what I said in that seven minute video was, was a surprise, was to send out an email to 5,000 Scottish members saying that they do not support and stand by misogyny and sexism, which of course then I got all of the emails from the men saying, well, you know, Willie Rennie says that he um, doesn't support misogyny, so it can't be true. So then I got more abuse and more abuse and more abuse. And on it goes. One of the men that I mentioned in the video 
ran in the Holyrood election this year. And while we are in this position, I will not stop. I am not going to be a parliamentarian now. I have I have found my peace with that. But I want to make sure that you never have the really shitty time that I had and the tens of women who've come to me since that video in April 2020. So I'm going to ask you right now to think about how you can support women who will go through this. Because if you are thinking about any kind of involvement in politics today, whether it's being uh, an involved member, chapping on doors and delivering leaflets, or you want to be the FM one day, you are going to come across a toxic culture and you are going to have to decide whether you are going to be the whistleblower or be the ally. And allies are just as important. This is not cups of tea and hashtags and arms around women's shoulders. This is uncomfortable work where you have to bring courage and conviction. And I needed that more than ever from the women in my party. And what I found and what I didn't expect to be saying to you today, but as I've thought about the process over the past 18 months, women in other parties found it much easier to speak up on my behalf publicly than women in my own party. And this is the reason why. There's a loyalty that comes with party politics. Of course there is. And it's the nature of the beast because any failure, any mistake ends up on the front page and victory is everything in politics. Your human mistakes could be your opponent's wins. And that is the fact. That's not going to change. That is politics. And so when we are asking people to be loyal, then there, there are people who are going to have to be put in that position, whether they, they support the women who are coming out and saying this has happened or they're supporting the people who are upholding the patriarchy. And that's not an easy place to be. That force field that I mentioned at the beginning of this presentation is you all and me as well, because I ride with you. I absolutely will. And if you ever have any experience of what I'm talking about today, I will make sure that I stand up and change the chat, stand up and support you. But we're the force field. We are the people protecting the patriarchy. There was a layer of activists, we have them in every party and every movement, who have been around a million years, are the absolute epitome of the values of your party. Those people liked me. They gave me money for my campaign. They drank with me in the bar till 3 a.m. But when I said to them, these people are doing this to me and these leaders are, are letting this happen, what were they going to do? Were they going to support me or are they going to support the leaders? And one day you will be in that position. And I would like you to think about which, which side of that you, you sit on. The other things, and I'm conscious of time, but there are a couple of other things that you can absolutely do. Avoid generalizations. All Lib Dems are this. They're not. You know, all Conservatives are this, all SNP members are this, all Unionists are this. Avoid generalizations because that builds toxicity and one day that might end up silencing you and you need to speak out. Avoid creating villains. We all know the men in politics that we need to avoid. But by creating cartoon villains of those people, the smiley, happy politicians who we all like to smile and smirk at when they do the happy, clappy photo shoots are the ones who are actually protecting the patriarchy and they are the most dangerous. Invite people to whistleblow in your parties. Talk about people of conscience. Talk about the fact that if we whistleblow and we crack open this culture, then this is the way that we will affect change. 
pass them to women for indie. I know this crew is a crew that I want to work with because I feel more able to talk about what happened to me in a comfortable space than possibly ever before. And also pass them to change the chat because we can risk assess whether it's the right time to whistleblow or not. We can add your stories anonymously to the work that we're doing. We're about to call for a regulatory body and we're going to ask women for independence to work with us on that because while politicians mark their own homework, then nothing will ever change. And we will continue this work until we absolutely nail the patriarchy. So I'm going to end with a quote because when I was listening to Lorna, um, this came to mind and it's Audrey Lord. What's the worst that can happen if I tell this truth? Unlike women in other countries, our breaking silence is unlikely to have us jailed, disappeared or run off the road at night. Our speaking out will irritate. It will get us called hypersensitive or bitchy and some people will not like it but we will disrupt dinner parties and we will win. So disrupt political parties, disrupt the patriarchy, and together we can do this. Thank you. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, I like to think that Women for India is a great disruptor in the, the political scene, and uh, that, that is just music uh, to my ears. Um, we are quite tight for time, Emma. Um, so if it's OK, we'll go on to our next speaker. And I think in the discussion groups, our attendees today will have a, a great opportunity to to talk about the points that you're bringing up and your ambitions for the regulatory body. And we can look at what we do together because we're going to we've got enough people today, I think, to have four discussion groups, two on each of the topics. So um, that's actually really exciting. Thank you so much. And I know from the chat, this resonated with absolutely everybody on, on this uh, event today. Thank you so much. And thank you, and to Kat, who's coming up for the, the support that I got from you personally when my issue, not just my issue, but our local issue was resurrected again quite recently. So brilliant to hear from you, Emma. So... I have not met any of our speakers today in real life yet, but I'm feeling that we're all friends already, which is a wonderful thing. Um, so I, I know Emma and, and Kat from Twitter, really. Um, Kat Carey is also an SNP colleague and a Twitter chum, but is very much involved in Reclaim These Streets Edinburgh, which is another non-party affiliated campaign. Um, and it's in that capacity she's our guest today. So please welcome another great Women for India welcome to the very feisty and talented Kat Carey. Great to see you, Kat. Thanks. Hi, thanks, Julie. And thanks for letting me go last because I really enjoyed listening to Lorda and Emma. And I, I really want to kind of build and um, maybe just augment what they're what they've both said. I also want to really thank you for having three new Scots on as speakers. I think that doesn't happen very often, even two North Americans, right? <laughs> you know, it's so I am one of the organizers of Reclaim These Streets Edinburgh, which is about making public spaces safe for women. And, you know, this is kind of the perfect thing for me to speak at because what is public life? Public life is everything. You don't know that you're a member of the public or like a public figure until someone else decides that you are in most cases, right? So like I, people could stand up and be like, I want to be president, but you know, if nobody else wants you to be or nobody else pays attention, uh, then, then you won't be. So 
the line between public figure and private citizen is uh, is very blurry and it can be quite harsh when, when you're all of a sudden thrust into the public eye. Um, Emma, Emma really touched on, um, like she put out a video, that video is brilliant. And I've watched it so many times. Um, I, and I, I've gotten permission from a few other people, uh, Rhiannon Spear and Nikita Bassey. The three of us have in this past few months ended up uh, having articles written about us in the, in the tabloid, in the, in the, in the media. And it was all about something written on Twitter, something tongue in cheek, something that was just fine to say, or maybe it's something that wasn't fine to say. I don't like soft play centers. Maybe I was unkind with the way I, I phrased things, but I really just didn't feel like it was safe. And I felt like maybe it was better if that these people still got a little bit of government funding and that everybody's kids stayed a little bit, you know, at home and not like licking soft play things. So that's my personal opinion, but it was conflated and put on the front news. Um, Rhiannon around the Euro uh, Eurovision had said, you know, don't worry, we hate the UK too. That's in a movie. That's in a Will Ferrell movie. They joke about it, right? Like who took that seriously, honestly? But there's this like performative outrage that's accepted. And we're not like... I'm I'm an I'm an employee, a part-time employee right now, but I'm a grad student. I'm a volunteer. I'm an activist. I don't have resources. Uh Nikita's young. She hadn't even started her job when this happened to her. She was worried about am I gonna have a job? What is my boss going to say? Because she just didn't have anybody that to stick up for her. And I I'm at a loss. I don't know how to overcome that. I don't know why that's so pervasive in Scotland and the wider UK. I'm sure it happens there. Um, but this isn't something that happens where I grew up. It People that are just local volunteers don't make headlines that people pay attention to. Um, if anybody has an, any ideas, because I got great support from my employer, by you know people in the party, people outside of the party, but it was a lot of it was this happens to all of us and this is just the way it is. And it's not OK that it should not be this way. A 20 year old girl making a comment about soccer, football, pardon, football should not be on the front page of the sun or I don't know if it's the front page, but she shouldn't have an article written about her going through all her tweets. It's ridiculous. Um, so when it comes to, you know, Finding women to run for council. I, I'm um, the women's officer for my political branch. When it, I would like to have more women, uh, the men and women on our, in our branch would like to have more women. But when I ask people to step forward or ask for input, a lot of people aren't willing to put themselves in the firing range. And let me tell you, you put yourself in the firing range. It's just a fact. Um, so... It's not for everybody, right? It's not for everybody to absorb that incoming fire. But if, if you're okay with that, like know that you have support and know that you'll have other women who will talk to you and give you a kind word. Um, you know, Julie's given me kind words. Emma has. There's so many women in this group who have just randomly reached out. And I, when I see something happening, when I see someone being picked on, I don't think what's their political persuasion I don't think anything like that. If I can send a DM, I will. And I'll say, hey, are you doing okay? I've been there myself. Or I haven't. Even if, if I haven't been there myself, I said, this isn't fair. 
uh, you know, if I can help, let me know if, if you just need, you know, if there's nothing I could do to help other than saying, I'm sending you some positive vibes through the internet, then there, then so be it. So, you know, we talk about how female MPs, female MSPs, people in politics that, you know, have high profile jobs are getting this, but it, it doesn't matter. You, you could have actually no, no way to like defend yourself monetarily. You could have, you know, why am I doing this? I'm a volunteer. Why, why am I taking this kind of abuse? You know, these are things that there's no easy fixes to, but the more times, you know, that there's studies being done, the more time you tell women that she should run. I'm, I'm part of, she should run as an American, uh, nonpartisan, ele- you know, elect her 50, 50 parliament, something like that. And I, I really like the name of it. She should run is just kind of great. Um, we're never going to get past misogyny, bullying, harassment. I spent 12 years in the Navy. I was told, you know, when you signed up, this was part of it. You know, it could be worse. It is illegal to say because you got pregnant, um, you're, you've hurt your career. But guess what? That's reality, sister. You know, like, that's it's not okay. And, and we need to keep working to change that. <clears throat> and... This is a women for independence. I, I joined during the pandemic. So this is kind of my first like big opportunity to be with the group. And I, I've really enjoyed like following on social media and the emails and the newsletters. But I want to talk about how, like Emma said, how she found so much support from people outside her political party. Independence underpins or is interwoven with a lot of my values, a lot of my activism, and I can't separate the two in a lot of re- in a lot of ways. But safety and equity and justice for women underpins everything else, and I think that there's not enough spaces where we put everything else aside and say we're going to stand up together as women. You know, we're not a monolith, but we are going to put everything else aside to support each other. Women supporting women is great. I love, I love that, Julie. Like it was the perfect thing. I think it really encapsulated what we need to do. Women need to support women. And obviously there's caveats and you need to be kind to yourself and you need to be able to step away because we can't all be turned on 24 seven, but just support other women, however you can in the best way you can in an uncritical way, whether or not she deserves it, right? Someone said to me, uh, well, this person might have really kind of deserved, you know, people treating them unkindly. And I'm like, yeah, but like, I've got kids. Do I tell them, oh, it's fine because it's fine to hit your sister because she deserved it. It's fine to hit your brother. Like, no, it's never okay. We teach people, we teach our kids, we teach our loved ones, just be kind, you know, because how many times do do I, have I deserved something and someone's been kind to me and helped instead? Um I think we we really we keep score too much and we forget that you know we don't always get what we deserve and sometimes that's a good thing. Um so like change the chat reclaim these streets wants to support and highlight public spaces including online spaces. So we have I'll I'll drop in the chat after this our social media uh handles on Wednesday, the 18th of August in the Meadows, there is an event being planned. 
it's still in the works. I, I'm going to just leave it at that is, you know, see our uh, social media. The Facebook page is set to private to be a safe space. Please make sure you answer the questions or you will not be admitted as a member. But if you're if you're waiting and not being admitted, make sure to get a hold of me um, and I'll make sure it happens. Um, another thing that Reclaim the Streets do is there's a power in saying that's not cool and normalizing saying to a guy or a girl, you know, but sometimes it's like, oh, women startle if somebody comes in the corner of my eye in the dark. Um, and and being able to normalize saying that's not cool because sometimes people get offended. Well, I wasn't going to try and hurt you. Well, how do I know that, right? It's, it's really a good way to kind of, it's not with heat because even though it's great, it, we should be free and to be angry. We should be free to you know, shout, but we should also be able to just say, that's not cool. Can you stop? You know, or like, maybe not, can you stop? But like, oh, you startled me. And then if somebody gets offended, go, it's not really cool to be offended. Like, it's not about you, man. Like, just, it's not cool. Let's let's move on. So if I leave you with anything today, I would say, reach out to other women in whatever little way you can, a smile, a DM, a comment, you know, we all live extremely online right now, but, you know, smiling at somebody on the street, you know, not telling them to smile, but smiling and asking, you know, just being friendly is sometimes worth more than anything else in the world. I think we can all identify the places of just a kind word kind of carried you through a rough time from a stranger. Um, Kat, we're kind of, we're running out of time a wee bit, and uh, your contribution. Uh, I mean, people are contributing to it in the chat, so I'm hoping that we can continue that conversation in the breakout rooms this afternoon and let let everyone have a little break. Is that okay? That's been that's really perfect because I was just wrapping up anyway. So, oh, that's great. Well, thanks. Sorry to 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 butt in there. Um, Go and get yourselves a cup of tea. Thank you for all the speakers uh, this morning. When we come back, uh, we're going to have a break for uh, maybe about, let me think, it's two minutes to, to 12, maybe to eight minutes past, very precisely. Um, Fatima Joji is going to come back and introduce the second half of today and uh, we'll have the breakout discussions. So thank you all uh, for contributing to this chat today it's been lovely so far and all the contributors in the in the the chat uh, it's been lovely to see all the questions and all the comments pop up thank you all so much enjoy your cuppy and we'll see you this is indie live radio a friday daytime show and this morning we're listening into a meeting with women for independence which they held a couple of weeks back called claim the space so you are welcome back to the second half of our um, event today. And I hope you enjoyed the first one and got the first half and got a lot out of it. We had so many inspiring speakers and um, I can't thank them enough for giving up their time today to come to speak to us. And I'm certainly supercharged. I'm so ready to get involved in this fight <laughs> for women in politics in all areas of life as well. So the next guest, um, I'm delighted, I'm so excited to introduce, and it's such an honour, I must say, because um, Talit, someone who I have admired from afar, especially on Twitter, 
um, whose contribution to the BBC documentary Breaking the Mold really encouraged many women like myself, I know, to really claim our space, um, be effective in creative change, in creating change, um, no matter which um, aspect of public life or private life that we want to get involved in. So um, Talat's contribution there was really a class and um, I watched it I think two times uh, because I just had to get made sure I had all the notes I could get from it and um, so the series that Tali contributed to was this, um, which focused on women of colour in politics but that's not all um, Talat focuses on she's a campaigner focused on women's equality in all areas of life including STEM race equality and intersectional analysis of policy She's also a writer and a commentator on those topics and more. And she launched Pass the Mic in October 2019, which is the first and only directory of women of colour experts in Scotland. And I must say she has quite a number of awards and fellowships to her name, recognising all the amazing work she has done over the past few years. So it's an absolute honour and delight to introduce Talat for our next round of discussion. Thank you very much, Talat. Thank you so much, Fatima. That's a, such a kind uh, introduction. And um, so um, thank you very much um, for the kind invitation to come along today. I want to talk to you a little bit about Pass the Mic. I want to talk to you about um, women of colour's uh, existence within public life in Scotland uh, and what we can do about it. So Pass the Mic, um, I, I'm also the co-founder of Women 5050, which a lot of you have worked with alongside and, and engaged with. Um, Women 5050 was started uh, in the September, straight after the independence referendum, as a way to be able to bring together women from either side, neither side of the debate, to talk about the reality of sexism within politics and how the conversation of independence was too often being led by men who were in leadership positions when the impacts that were being discussed were disproportionately going to be felt by women. So we um, brought together Women 5050 with women from um, SNP, Labour, Lib Dems and um, SNP and the Greens. Uh, one party doesn't like us, you can work that out. So um, in terms of uh, Pass the Mic, it was launched, as Fatima said, in October 2019. And as most things in my life, it was created out of a fit of rage. Um, and after a couple of conversations with friends who shared that rage, I've been working in this area in equalities, um, in commentary for a long time. And I um, am often called to ask about, uh, to, to be asked about different areas of inequality, of education access, um, science, technology, engineering and inequalities. But sometimes I'm called up for the wrong thing. And on occasion, I've been called up by whether any media outlet um, and I've been asked to come along and talk about, could you come along and talk about your experiences of migration? I can't because I'm born and bred in Scotland. Um, could you come along? Um, we were we know that it's going to be a Diwali in a few weeks time. Would you like to come along and talk about different celebrations across the world? I can't actually. I'm Muslim. You're looking for somebody who is Hindu. Now, the, these things have really agitated me and they've agitated me because it is, it is a lack of effort 
by media, by people who organize events, by people who hold power within platforms, to be able to share that and go to effort to find the women of color, the Black, Asian, minority ethnic women who could be part of your platforms. Instead, it is looking at the ones that you already know, who you have in your speed dial, who is easiest to get hold of. That's not good enough. That's not good enough when there are talented, knowledgeable, fantastic women of colour across Scotland who want to and have the capacity and competency to share their expertise, but they are not called back or they are asked. The other thing I noticed was I always used to have a um, personal spreadsheet of fantastic women of colour and their email addresses with their permission. So when I couldn't do some kind of press call or event, I would say, here's three women of colour who also know about this. Here's their details they look forward to your call. And when I went back to ask, oh, did you get a call from X media outlet or X organisation who is organising an event? Most of them would say, oh, no, I didn't get a call from them. So there wasn't even an effort to pursue the names that I had provided. So as a consequence, like I said, in a lot of anger, Pass the Mic was created in October 2019 to be able to be a place where women of colour could share their expertise, their contact details. So nobody could say, oh, we just couldn't find women of colour. There's 200 women of colour now on that online spreadsheet from engineers um, and astrophysicists to artists, to campaigners, caterers, teachers, nurses, um, counsellors, whoever it might be. There is somebody who is there to be able to talk about their expertise, not just their expertise and experiences of racism, inequality and sexism, but also their professional expertise that may be in other areas. So it's been created to prevent there from being only me and a small handful of women of colour that are often asked who also need to learn to pass the mic, but also to prevent there from there being the um, lazy response, we just couldn't find somebody. Well, I managed and here's 200 of them. So that's why pass the mic exists. But beyond that, it's also trying to create culture change in who is given space and what topics and discussions are given oxygen across our politics and across our media. Now, obviously, having co-founded Women 5050, the over 1,200 um, councillors we have, the 129 MSPs we have, are hugely important. We need to have diversity there, we need to have representation there, and we are getting to that. And whilst I celebrate and applaud the fact that we now have two women of colour, in Parliament, it comes with some pretty significant caveats. One, there's never been a Black person in our Parliament. It's not just Black women, Black man, or however they would identify. There's never been somebody from the Black community elected to the Scottish Parliament. There's never been um, somebody from a a person of colour from a migrant background elected, uh, a migrant woman elected into um, the Parliament. We need to have diversity in all its forms and we can't rest on the two women of colour we now have in in Parliament because that means there's a lot that rests on their shoulders. If we look across the um, terms of the Scottish Parliament and the makeup of Scottish population, we should have had 12 women of colour across uh, the Parliament, the 22 years of devolution we have had. We have only just found two. And as was mentioned before, um, we uh, Julie mentioned before, it's after 22 years. The first time Cockett Stewart ran was against Donald Dewar in 1999. Okay. We have a long way to go. 
But beyond that, we also need to think about our campaigning spaces, our influencing spaces, and to what extent are women of colour included, encouraged to participate, and then given platform oxygen and the mic when they are in those campaigning spaces too. Because if we wait for the 129 people in Parliament to be representative, that is also only 129 people. We also need to look at our local campaigning, our activities within our organisations, the third sector and beyond. Who gets to influence beyond our parliament and where are the women of colour there? And finally and critically, which Pastor Mike does a lot of, is our media. Our media has the ability to um, harness and tackle inequality or harm and further entrench inequality. And depending on what you read and what you watch, different ones are doing different things. In a recent piece of uh, work done through Pass the Mic and um, Dr Karen Boyle and Melody House from the University of Strathclyde, we um, categorised, reviewed over a one week of news stories, um, both uh, online, um, in fact, online in newspapers and in TV. In total, we reviewed over 3,100 stories over that week. 0.7% of journalists or presenters were women of colour. 0.3% included women of colour who were quoted or interviewed as experts. 0.3%. That's not good enough. It's particularly not good enough when we have repeatedly been talking about the realities of institutionalised racism across particularly the last year. What we did find, which is particularly disturbing, is that women of colour were more likely to be used as photographs and images than they were to be quoted or we were to hear from them. So a static image in a newspaper to represent a story, but have no women of colour actually giving their quotes, their expertise included in the story anywhere. So seen, but less likely to be heard. And that in a nutshell is the problem. We have a culture problem, whether it's in politics, any aspect of public life or media, where women of colour are not included. And often when when they are included, there's a reinforcing of trauma because we're asked to, um, and and this has happened multiple times with me, asked to go on and, and do a panel or an interview alongside you know, I'll be there to talk about the realities of institutionalised racism against somebody who believes racism doesn't exist. False equivalence is creating um, debate, argument, where the majority of the opinion, the majority of the polling, the majority of people do not exist in polar opposites. Instead, they sit somewhere in between. But for the sake of um, a good headline, the sake of um, a good social media clip, what we have is one person pitted against another person, which often women of colour... And yeah, you're absolutely right. This happens in climate change too. The fact that a climate change scientist goes on and is asked to speak with a climate change denier, which is where the vast, vast, vast majority of people are not, you know. So that false equivalence is really damaging. And often when women of colour put a foot into media, they want to take a step back out again because it's not been a kind space for them. And they don't want to have to relive a trauma every time they participate. We have to fight that false equivalence, both in our media and what's increasingly happening in our politics, because there's more interest in the fight than there is in the substance and the nuance. The nuance and the substance is where good policy is made. We need to come back um, into 
um, the reality of the debate. And finally, I want to talk about abuse, because I know you're going to be talking about that um, later in social media abuse. The Amnesty report um, back in 2017 about the impact of social media found that Diane Abbott was 10 times, received 10 times more abuse during the 20, the week before the 2017 um, general election than any other woman MP. She received 45% of all abuse of women MPs. The reason I point this out is we have to be competent at at, um, calling out sexism and racism and the way the two things intersect. Because women of colour are disproportionately abused, disproportionately disadvantaged in our politics, in our media and in our world. We have to take an intersectional approach. We have to have parties that understand intersectional analysis and intersectional responses. That means that reporting is fit for purpose and cultures are kinder and more accepting. We we need to fight for a politics that is accessible for all women, understanding that women of colour are more likely to be experience abuse, have higher levels of poverty, have had higher levels of impact due to COVID-19, are more likely to be on low pay and undervalued jobs. We have to take all of that information and create a better politics and public life for Scotland whilst appreciating the realities of how much further behind women of colour are, how much further behind disabled women are, how much further behind LGBT women are, how much further unpaid carers and working class women are. Only when we create a politics that is fit for purpose for all women do we create a politics that is competent for the people of Scotland. So I'm going to stop there. I look forward to being able to answer any questions. You can DM me, email me, tweet at me. I'm on Twitter, an unhealthy amount. So by all means, do um, get in touch there. Thank you for inviting me on today. Um, let's make a better politics for the women of Scotland. Thank you so much for that, Tyler. And um, it is absolutely true. I think um, as women of colour, we do find that we're fighting this constant battle. First of all, when we get into that space to even justify why we are there, and even when we're there with so much justification behind us, we find it very difficult to stay. Um, so it is a very important point to be made. And um, allyship is very important here. Um, you know, pa- that's why I really appreciate something like Pass the Mic. Um, give up the space, let women of colour be able to speak and say their piece. Um, we are very capable. There's no shortage of talent um, amongst women of colour. Yet we see um, women of colour missing from these important spaces. And, you know, it, it's, it's proven that if everyone is lifted up, we all win. And I think some people don't seem to realise it. And I think it's just this thought that um, and promoting a group of marginalised people means that your rights are either further diminished or that you will have some rights taken away from you. That's not the case. You know, inclusion is what we need to go forward and inclusion is what makes the world a healthier place. I know I'm sounding like some kind of scholar, but it's absolutely true. We've seen examples, whether it's on a small scale of how inclusion and diversity leads to better policies and decision making, whether it's at committee level. So thank you so much for that, Talat. We are going to start our next um, session, which is actually, we've got workshops coming up, two workshops. So the first one, we have Lorna and Talat speaking on what do you need to encourage you to stand for local um, authority elections in 2022 and what you can do to support others to stand. So there's a bit of personal development and um, also um, ways you can support people if you're not interested in standing yourself. And then um, the other workshop is by Emma um, Walker and Kat Harry who will be looking at tackling the misogyny and bullying women face, especially online. 
and do you want to campaign and what would it look like? Okay. Um, so thank you and let's just get, we'll wait and get assigned to our rooms. So as you've just heard Fatima saying, at this part in the meeting, we went into breakout groups um, where we had a chance to talk in a bit more detail about what had been said in each of these four talks. Um, we didn't record any of that, but when we came back, someone from each group did a short report back of what they'd talked about. So we're going to hear that now. This is the report back from the breakout groups. Um, there, there's a, a really, this idea about a women's caucus, I don't think we've got anything. I mean, Women for Indies probably the closest, but a sort of cross-party women's caucus um, where all women involved in politics at all different spheres can maybe meet a couple of times a year. Um, and, and that whole thing about identifying the barriers um, to not just standing, but once you get into a position of being a councillor, um, how unpredictable the job is and how it eats into every part of your week and how there's a huge amount of evening work. Um, so one of the difficulties is identifying those barriers. And we just we did see what a blessing Zoom had been um, because the amount of travel that that cuts out and it means that you could go in and out of meetings whilst being at home without having to sort out childcare and everything else. That's fantastic. Um, I was, I'll just cut my commentary after Heather just so I can let Lisa say something because she's about to leave. Um, so I'll just let Lisa come in. Hey, thanks so much, Fatima, because I scribed for our group with Kat, and so I didn't want to, to know what to do. So um, we were talking about um, what can we do and supporting women who are going through difficult experiences. So we talked about um, calling it out where you can and that not always saying to the person you're a terrible person for saying this but maybe sharing it and saying this is an example of inappropriate behaviour um, we talked about supporting the person, both supporting the person publicly if you can but because you are a woman if you feel that's difficult supporting them privately, sending messages to people who are struggling is really really helpful and sometimes that emotional support is, is, is just as good as calling it out um, doing it when it's not a personal confrontation. So if there is a story going on in the media or in your party and someone expresses a view that is apologist of misogynistic behaviour or misogynistic, saying in that instance when it's not about the person you're talking to, that's really unacceptable because this is how you might make other people in this room whose experience you don't have feel um, means that you're challenging the behaviour when it's not just something someone's just done. Um, and then I think this is an excellent one. Instead of retweeting the bad story, post two positive things about the woman who is being made out to be the bad person in the story. Um, and I thought all of those were really good examples. So that's what we have. And if any, if Kat or Fatima want to add something in, you can. But thank you. Um, I'll let the hosts go in maybe. Um, so Kat, if you're happy to say some feedback, say something to everyone, and maybe an action point or anything, if that's okay. Sure. I think that um, you can post a positive thing about the person, but a lot of times, you know, nobody is a nobody, right? It doesn't matter how many social media followers you have. We're all worth something, but maybe you don't know the person as well, or you don't have something. Tweet something positive anyways. Tweet something positive about a woman. Tweet something positive about women acting for climate change or, or a different thing that you're passionate about, um, because sometimes that positive energy is for you. 
And and just try and yeah, message the person getting a pile on um, privately and just say, hey, I'm here or like, I support you. You're doing the right thing. You know, I've been through this myself. If you have, um, because it is scary, it, it's just scary. And it, we touched on, it doesn't matter if you're a stay at home mother or if you're, you know, in parliament, it kind of, it, it can hit all of us. So that that's all I have. We we talked about what our favorite things are on our chips, but I can't remember all of them. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kat. Um, so no, absolutely. Um, it was such a productive um, discussion there and how I think what really came out was peer support and just supporting women out there generally, because, you know, um, when you're receiving a pylon, you feel all alone. So just knowing that people are out there just makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Um, that's something that really helped me myself personally, because I was facing consistent harassment from this one guy over my trans inclusion. Believe it or not, this one guy is a non-Muslim white guy who's 54 who decided to come after me because I'm a Muslim woman who believes in inclusion, which is really interesting, using Muslim women as a cover for your transphobia, um, because he decided to pander to the um, ideas that's been pushed through the media of what Muslim women are like or what we stand for. We're just another marginalised group who recognise the same tactics that are being used um, on other marginalised groups. So solidarity and inclusion is the way to go forward. So, um, And what really helped me as well personally was um, that peer support I received from people who went through the same thing. Believe it or not, it's really sad, but a lot of women can relate sadly no matter what scale and because someone mentioned this in our group they said something I hope you don't mind but you said someone in our group said I won't mention the name because I don't have permission just yet but someone in our group said that and um, their issue is small and I was like and Kat immediately responded no issue is small and you know it, it it hurts it hurts and maybe let's not try and diminish our own experiences just because someone else experiences it on a bigger scale I think as women that's what we think we're supposed to do just <laughs> downplay whatever we're feeling and we shouldn't and so it was a really interesting discussion there. So thank you so much, Kat. And just to go back to Heather, because I kind of switched from Heather because um, Lisa had to go. And um, what Heather mentioned about accessibility as well for women's participation was fantastic. And I was wondering if anyone else wanted to come back in on that, because I think we kind of switched the topic quickly um, there. So what Heather said was fantastic as well. And Heather, who's were you in local government? We, we were in the local government um, okay. Just that thing about the experience of encouraging women to come forward and stand as councillors and then four years on, a lot of them deciding not to stand again because it was just too big a stretch with very little support um, and, and that whole thing of the pay has been increased um, to 18,000 recently but you either have to live with somebody, um, have a pension, um, have another job um, in order to cope because there's not enough money in there to cover childcare um, for the anti-social hours that you work and all the rest of it. So so just that thing about it's not just getting women there, it's supporting women when they do get there um, to do the job um, to you know that they want to do. Absolutely. No, that's really, that is a huge issue, a huge barrier to women in politics. And I was wondering, Lorna, because I think um, you facilitated um, that discussion as well. And um, would you be happy to say something maybe? Um, on that topic or even I saw you made a nice comment about peer support as well and um, if you're happy to come in yeah thank you thank you very much I uh yeah we had we had a really quite a wide-ranging chat actually but I think what you said earlier about peer support Fatima is the absolute 100% the thing is those kind of casual networks and it's worth taking the time to build up 
your so your social network. I would say so ideally within your party, but this cross party stuff too. And take the time to just send that. How's your day going? Take the time to go oh, look how great my gardens look, or oh, look at this awful mess my children made. It doesn't matter what it is. Connect over those trivial matters. Have those people in your phone so that you can go. This person said this awful thing to me today. What do I do? Or oh no, uh, you know I I fluffed my speech today. What what am I going to do? Or I've got hustings. I'm terrified. What do I do? So make sure those connections are there. Nurture those connections. Um, and so you know when someone's about to do something scary, give her the high five. You can do it. You can absolutely do this. Got your back. So when she comes back, going, I did it. I did the scary thing. I made the speech. I put my nomination in. Whatever the scary thing was that she did, you can go high five. You're awesome. You did that awesome thing. How awesome are you? Just so you have your own kind of team there. And if you if you take the time to build that up, um, it will you'll support each other, and then they'll be there when you need them when when the shit hits the fan. Excellent, thank you so much for that, Lorna. Um, has anyone got any comment um, based on what's been said so far? Interesting discussions on both um, local government um, participation and also peer support and the online abuse we face. I was wondering if I could come over to Emma um, Walker as well. Um, if you have anything to say, I know you spoke about that you helped facilitate the misogyny and online as well. And um, so if you have anything to say, including that amazing work you do with Change the Chat, uh, which is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we we uh, went uh, slightly left field in the end in our conversation, but we did start by talking about the impact of when we see our friends go through it. Somebody on the call was talking about their friend who was recently elected as an MSP and, and seeing what happened to her in media and social media and the impact on that. And I think that shouldn't be forgotten because I remember there were times, I mean, it's a bit like when you're taking your driving test and actually your friends and family end up being more nervous than you. When you're going through this, I found that sometimes when I was at the worst point, it was my friends and family who were more worried about me saying, you've got to back off. This is, this is get yourself out of this situation. But we ended up talking about NDAs. So although we originally were asking about whether we should do a campaign on online, and we definitely agreed that we should you know, amplify women's voices when we see somebody having a pile on, we should all get in there. We don't stop. If we saw a woman on the street being harassed, we don't stop to ask her what her politics are. We just protect her. And, and it's the same online. And I think that's I think that's definitely the vibe I'm getting from this entire group today, which is excellent. But I've mentioned that, um, you know, because I was an employee of the party as well as a volunteer at times, um, ACAS got involved with my situation and they said this will end with an NDA. And I said it. It, it bloody won't though because that will take my voice away so I ran away from NDAs but I know a good 15 20 women across Scottish politics who do have them and so there became a conversation about whether there should be a campaign around those because effectively they're silencing women and we will never be able to expose the 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 full extent of the toxic culture and the patriarchy if we have them. Because ultimately, uh, just like in maternity discrimination, which is another one of the, the Provoke projects that uh, I work on, because Change the Chat is part of a wider organisation. You know, with maternity discrimination, women are gagged if they do fight and they're gagged if they don't. Because if you fight and you quote unquote win, then you get an NDA slapped on you and you can't talk about the bullshit that happened. And then the next woman who gets sacked, looks to see her girl gang around her and she can't find anybody because they're NDA'd. And that's what happened to me in politics. Um, so 
I think that's something that we, I think there seemed to be quite an interest in, in running and I'd be really keen to work with you on that as well. I've got this fantasy, I've got like a whole soundtrack on Spotify and for some reason I have this kind of daydream where I build up uh, the the letters NDA outside Scottish Parliament and then I set fire to them and I do it with this whole feminist soundtrack. So yeah, one day if you see that happening, uh it, it was me. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that, Emma. And I can't believe we haven't even met yet either. There's so many people that we haven't met in person here. Um, it's just so sad um, this pandemic has really put a mm. spanner in that, but hopefully in future that can change. And um, so I can take Julie and Kat, then we can round up if that's okay, because, sorry, Zara, you've got your hand up. So I'll just let you speak as well, Zara, after that. So if you can try and keep your speeches short so that we can round up because uh, it's already 10 past. So Julie, Kat, then Zara. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. I was going to do something pretty horrible to a, another woman, so I won't name her. Um, there is a, an independent councillor on this event um, who I have worked with, um, who's been on the receiving end of appalling behaviour. And please don't feel that you have to speak if you don't want to, uh, but I just wondered what it was like for a woman who stood as an independent uh, as opposed to within a party structure. Because I know I had internal support in the party and through Women for Indy uh, and my informal support network, I knew people I could trust to do that. And I just wondered how much bigger a challenge it might be for women who are uh, independent. And if the person wants to say anything, please do. But I, I think that is a particular challenge in local politics um, because there are lots of independents um, in, in our local authority structure um, and I do worry um, that it might be really, really hard for them. So we, we need to make sure that they're, they're in the room as well. Kat then, Louise, and then that's it, sorry. Okay, on you go, Kat. I, I have a real quick statement and it's just that as much support as you're supporting people in your political parties, like Emma and I found each other and like, I wouldn't give up my friendship with Emma for the world. I wouldn't want to change her opinions on anything because we put that first. And it's really nice to have somebody who's kind of in a different realm and to just get that other thing and not to be fighting about it. So make sure that you have friends and support outside your own political party, because sometimes it can, you know, mess with your sense of reality. And that's it. Fantastic. Thank you. And finally, thanks, Kat. Finally, Lois. Um, it was really just on the back of what uh, Julie was saying. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Julie was maybe referring to me, so I wanted to just come in and say hello and I guess answer uh, just yeah, kind of you know what Julie was was putting forward there. And I guess as an independent councillor, um, it, it was a it was a big thing to to stand for election. Um, I was I was pretty unknown. I mean I mean I might have been known in my local community, but in terms of politics, um, had no political kind of. Uh, persuasion you know there was no party that I was aligned with um and really just wanted to stand and represent the community and uh was blown when I got in um it was a bit of a baptism of fire then when when I kind of fully realized what it meant then for you know an administration within council to form and and what that looked and felt like and I ended up finding myself in an administration with uh I think 15 males uh, predominantly older, um, with 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 mixed politics, but with conservatives, with uh, independents, um, and uh, and Lib Dems, and 
do you know, I, I wanted to kind of uh, just not have any, I didn't have any kind of uh, kind of predetermined thinking as to what that would look and feel like. And, you know, I wanted to just uh, get along with other regardless of their politics. And, you know, as time went on, it became harder and harder. And, you know, there was definitely, you know, differences of treatment because I was a woman, um, you know, I, you know, it was pretty unhealthy. It was toxic. There was a lot of behaviours and um, kind of just, yeah, backlashes if I didn't vote the same way, um, if I expressed something that was that was different or perhaps to them that was more socialist or just often just, you know, having a kinder, caring, more compassionate viewpoint um, got me into trouble. Uh, so it's been a tough gig. Um, but what I would say is that, that Julie and many others, Emma, that's on the chat, Emma Walker, um, was really supportive when um, I eventually kind of, I guess, came out and, and spoke publicly on it. And I think what was, what's was what been said today in terms of that kind of support from people, that emotional support, those private messages that I received, I think that absolutely is what kind of got me through a really tough time because you do feel like you're, you're just part of that kind of mudslinging. And, you know, for me, that's something that I always wanted to avoid doing. But um, it just reinforced that what I was doing was right and that I was calling it out. So, yeah, just a huge thanks. And it, it was kind of cross-party support as well, which was really important. Um, I felt that that was really powerful. So, um, so yeah. Thank um, you so much for that. Listen, you know that cross-party support is really important. We don't realise that we don't have to hate each other. Um because you know we sometimes go through the same thing and at the end of the day we're all human in the same space and we don't deserve to be abused no one should take it lying down so thank you so yeah. much for that Lois. thank you and um i think that's us at the end of the event and i'd like to extend our biggest thanks to all our speakers for taking their time out of their lovely sunny afternoon um to speak to us kat Kerry, emma walker um lorna slater and Talit Yacoub, thank you so much. And um, also thank you so much, Julie, for um, hosting the first half as well, and so brilliantly. And thank you so much to Kirsteen and um, Jocelyn as well for all the tech and the sorting out breakout rooms. And to everyone who's here today, thank you so much. And I'm gonna ask us to do something so cheesy before we, um, <laughs> before we end. I'd like us all to just come together, just saying Unision, um, after the cut of three, just shout women supporting women and just let us get that out of our systems. So I guess let's make it clear, it's cross-party. If we need to do this together, we're here for the fight. We're all facing the same battle. So women supporting women after the count of three. One, two, three. Women, women supporting women. 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 Thank you. All right, have a nice day, Thank you, everyone. Well done. It's lovely to see you. Thanks for joining us. Bye. So that's the end of today's daytime show. It was a bit different from how we normally do the show and we hope you've enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about Women for Independence, go to their website. They're also on Twitter and Facebook, of course. You can find out what they're up to. There are local groups if you want to join in any of the activities. <laughs>